Hello, and welcome to the Christ's Church Cathedral podcast. This is our Wednesday worship service, recorded at the Cathedral. We hope these songs and words will enlighten the rest of your week. Welcome to Christ's Church Cathedral and another occasion for a hymn festival. If you're a frequent participant in these, you will have come to enjoy the rich tapestry of hymns and their stories. If you're new, this hymn festival will introduce you to the many ways in which text and music can express perspectives on a given theme. Hymns are an important and constantly responsive repertoire which God's people at worship have used over many centuries. The cross is a ubiquitous Christian symbol. It not only represents the crucifixion of Jesus, becoming a central image for Holy Week and the Easter Triduum, but also its own identity as a devotional symbol of redemption apart from the events of Good Friday. It is this focus which the yearly feast of the Holy Cross marks. So this hymn festival is about hymns describing this element of devotion as distinct from its association with Jesus' death. begin, would you join us in the opening prayer found in the service leaflet? Creator God, because you make all that draws forth our praise and the forms in which to express it, we, we praise, praise you. you. Because you make artists of us all, 
awakening courage to look again at what is taken for granted. Grace to share these insights with others. Vision to reveal the future already in being. We, we praise, praise you. Because you form your word among us, and in your great work embrace all human experience, even death itself, inspiring our resurrection song. We, we praise you. you. Yours, Yours is, is the, the glory. glory. Amen. Amen. begin with two quintessentially Anglican hymns about the cross. Lift high the cross, which we have just sung, sets the stage for this view to the cross as an instrument of salvation rather than a backdrop to Jesus' death. The lyrics of Lift High the Cross have been subject to discussion. Stanley L. Osborne wrote that the hymn's images are biblical, its moods expectant, its promises courageous, and its demands costly, while stating that the cross in the hymn is a symbol of the love of Jesus. It has been suggested that the hymn was inspired by the story of Constantine the Great's conversion to Christianity after seeing a cross with 
in hoc signo vinces in the sign you shall conquer on it. It was intended as a festival hymn and was first performed in Winchester Cathedral. Since then, it has appeared in numerous hymnals, including the 1916 edition of Hymns Ancient and Modern and paired with tune Crucifer, which has become inseparable from this text. Perhaps you could sense the vertical, then horizontal contour of the melody of the refrain further imaging the cross itself. Our next hymn, In the Cross of Christ Our Glory, also requires no introduction. John Bowring was an Englishman whose career was in business and government. He was also a Unitarian. As such, it is somewhat surprising that he wrote such a hymn as In the Cross of Christ Our Glory, since Unitarians do not believe that Jesus Christ was divine. In 1825, Bowring published the hymn in his Hymns in London. British hymnologist J.R. Watson notes that the image of a cross is a fine one. It allows the reader to glimpse a cross standing over a ruined universe. Into the cross are drawn all the emotions, the woes of life, the good moments of light and love, so that both are sanctified. Hymnologist C. Michael Horne points out that the sublime cross mentioned in the opening and closing stanzas is a wonderful oxymoron and an important word in the Romantic period, making this hymn a splendid example of hymn writing in the age of Blake and Wordsworth. It's one of the paradoxes of Christianity that an instrument of torture becomes a symbol of faith for all the time where all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. The singing of this text is made all the more enjoyable by the tune, Cross of Jesus, written by John Stainer. His only claim to fame was the oratorio, the crucifixion, which still is performed in many churches during Passion Tide. Amongst the hymns Stainer used in this work, In the Cross of Jesus, has remained an important association with this hymn text since 1887.
Abbey is a Roman Catholic contemplative Benedictine women's monastery with the status of an abbey, now located at Wass, North Yorkshire, England. The community was founded in 1625 at Cambrai in Flanders, then part of the Spanish Netherlands, now in France, under the auspices of the English Benedictine congregation. After being imprisoned during the French Revolution, the surviving nuns fled to England and in 1838 settled at Stanbrook, Callow End, Worcestershire, where a new abbey was built. The order continues to be involved in education and artwork, fine needlework for liturgical vestments and the like, in addition to other intellectual pursuits. Chief among these are writing as evidenced by this next hymn, O Cross of Christ and the many other hymn texts and religious poetry from the order. This hymn is a part of the larger body of hymns used in the Liturgy of the Hours, specifically written for the Feast of the Holy Cross. The hymn text reveals the image of a tree as a remarkable interweaving of both genesaic image of the tree of life with that of the Holy Week agent of death. Yet there is an inner life in these, this wood whose branches bear unfailing fruit and leaves that never fade, together with an eternal presence as creation's binding force. This inner life is the essence of what is observed on this feast day. The tune, Caithness, comes to us from a body of tunes known as the Scottish Psalter. These tunes, with their standard, standard metrical meter, provided the musical setting for paraphrased psalms of the time. These collections arose as the church desired congregational participation in the singing of the psalms. The only sung material for congregations in the early Reformation period until the advent, later in the 1700s, of Isaac Watts. Over the millennia of Christian poets, none rises to the level of one Venetantius Fortunatus, who lived in the sixth century. The story goes that whilst a student at Ravenna, he became almost blind and recovered his sight as he believed miraculously by anointing his eyes with some oil taken from a lamp that burned before the altar of St. Martin of Tours. His recovery induced him to make a pilgrimage to the Shrine of St. Martin at Tours in 565, and that pilgrimage resulted in his spending the rest of his life in Gaul. His contributions to hymnology have been considerable. His best-known hymn, which we will sing in a few moments, is the famous Vexilia Regis, Pro de Und, so familiar to us in our church hymnals in some English form or other, 
perhaps especially in Dr. Neal's translation. The royal banners go forward. Another important one we sing often in Holy Week is the Pange Lingua. Hymnologists are agreed that the general character of the poetry of Venantius Fortunatus represents the last expiring effort of the Latin using Gaul to retain something of the old classical culture amid the advancing tide of barbarism. In the Vexilla Regis, he rises to a rugged grandeur in which he has few rivals. Two tunes are popularly assigned to this text. The first one we sing is a plain chant mode. Plain chant grew out of a desire for a free, a free flowing monody, single musical line, to support the flow and character of the text. Pope Gregory standardized these melodies into modes which later received Greek names. For example, Dorian, Ionian. The first one is a mode one plain chant existing at the time of this text creation. In fact, there are images of illuminated manuscripts of this hymn from the time showing this plain chant tune. The second tune is written by Percy C. Buck, director of music at the well-known British Boys Academy, Harrow School. The tune name, Gonfalon Royal, refers to an ancient Anglo-Norman word, Gonfalon, meaning banner. The tune was published in 1913. Each stanza moves forward a rhythmically intense but inconclusive ending, propelling the singer onto the next stanza. The final ending is reserved for the Amen, which appropriately concludes the sung prayer. This is a bold hymn depicting the majesty of the text.
story behind one of the most cherished hymns of the Christian faith. The year was 1912, and George Bernard, an evangelist traveling throughout the Midwest, was heckled instantly by several youth at a revival meeting in Michigan. Troubled by their disregard for the gospel, Bernard turned to scripture to reflect on the work of Christ on the cross. He later recalled, I seemed to have a vision. I saw the Christ and the cross inseparable. The melody came easily, and the first verse was completed by Bernard during a series of meetings in Albion, Michigan. Several months later, the remaining three verses were completed in Pokagon, Michigan, where Bernard was leading meetings at a local church. After completing the hymn, he performed the song in its entirety for the sponsoring pastor and his wife, Reverend Leroy and Ruby Bostwick, in the living room of the parsonage. The Bostwicks, Bostwicks were moved to tears and incorporated the song in the revival service on June 7, 1913. Today, that same church building, originally a hawk's barn, is owned by the nonprofit Old Rugged Cross Foundation and welcomes thousands of visitors annually. The hymn quickly spread throughout the region and came to the attention of the evangelist, Billy Sunday, who frequently utilized it in his meetings. Loved for its lilting melody and words of personal trust in the cross of Christ, the Old Rugged Cross remains one of the most cherished hymns of the Christian faith. It has since been included in numerous hymnals and recordings by contemporary artists. This hymn serves well as a hymn regarding the devotional nature of the cross. It speaks of the cross' attractiveness to salvation. The writer uses a sense of purpose with each verse, beginning with an action word or perspective. For example, on, in, and to the old rugged cross. As an evangelical altar call song, there is none better.
English hymnal, co-edited by Ralph Vaughan Williams and Percy Dermer, was the first collection of hymns drawn together along lines of liturgical season and purpose. The editors regarded the hymnal as a layperson's book of theology, and as such set the template for an all subsequent hymnal productions. This hymnal became the compendium handmaid to the liturgical reforms of the Oxford movement which sought to restore orthodoxy to ecclesiological and liturgical practice. This text, Faithful Cross, is another from the pen of Fortunatus and translated into the rendered language of the Oxford movement. It is named an office hymn, meaning it forms part of the daily services of the church, either noonday or Compline. The text comes from a tradition that really cannot and should not be translated into modern usage any more that you can't or shouldn't do without incense, great clouds of it on a regular basis. As you sing along with this text, luxuriate in the rich colours of the text and the imagery of the devotional cross. There is a progression from rigid tree to bending to the form of Christ, metaphorically an image of our spiritual life. Then, another lovely reference to the wood of the ark. And finally, the use of the word sweetest, often descriptive of the Virgin Mary in a triune phase, sweetest wood and sweetest iron, sweetest weight is hung on the tree. The writer of the tune, Samuel Webb, was an autodidact. He first discovered his aptitude for music when he called on to repair the case of a harpsichord during the course of the repair work, he taught himself to play the instrument. Near the end of the job, he was overheard playing it. As a result of this incident, he turned to the study of music under Karl Barbant. A Roman Catholic, in 1776, Webb succeeded George Paxton as organist of the Sardinian Embassy Chapel, a position which he held until 1795. He was also August and choir master of chapel of the Portuguese embassy in Lincoln's Inn Fields, the only place in London where the Catholic liturgy could be publicly celebrated. From this vantage point, Webb was well positioned to write music in this revival of older liturgical practice. His motets and masses formed a corpus of repertoire for this still in use today. The nobility of this tune Tantum ergo is evident, and the melodic contour is at once expansive yet humble.
Hymns are a dynamic interplay of both text and music. Sometimes both tune and text are written by the same person. Other times the text is written by one and another writes the music to fit. But in this case, in 1869, the writer, Fanny Crosby, was shown a tune by William Doan, for which she wrote this text. The text and tune were published together in Bright Jewels for the Sunday School in 1869. Crosby wrote four stanzas and a refrain, which most hymnals have kept. The first line of each stanza contains the phrase, near the cross, emphasizing the value of the cross's redeeming work there. Each stanza has a slightly different aspect of the main theme. The first stanza describes the redemption through Jesus' blood, and the second, the need of humanity for salvation. The third stanza is a prayer that the Christian would always remember, God's love as shown on the cross, and the fourth looks forward to heaven. The tune for this hymn was actually written before the text, but it was named after the text, near the cross. William Doan, who often collaborated with Crosby, is the composer. He wrote the tune in 1869, and it was first published with the text in Bright Jewels. The stanza and the refrain are in two phrases each, clearly marked by the ending long notes. This tune should be sung at a moderate tempo. If it is too fast, it sounds like a dance, which is not appropriate to the theme of the text. But an excessively slow tempo is depressing, while the text gives hope. These hymns of the heart are a key element of the hymn explosion which occurred after the 1800s. Almighty God, who in the passion of your blessed Son made an instrument of painful death to be for us a means of life and peace, grant us so to glory in the cross of Christ that we may gladly suffer for his sake, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, 
one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray to the Father through his Son, who suffered on the cross for the world's redemption. Fill your spirit, Christ's broken body, the church. Give to Christian people everywhere a deep longing to take up the cross and to understand its mysterious glory. By the Savior's cross and passion, Lord, Lord save, save us, us and, and help, help us. Bless those who lead the church's worship and the preaching of the word and the celebration of the sacraments. Draw your people close to you. By the Saviour's cross and passion, Lord, Lord save, save us and, and help, help us. Give you grace to those who preach your word to the nations. Help us to witness to the faith we have received by our words and in our deeds. And daily conform us more and more to Christ that we may glory in his cross. By, by the, the Saviour's cross and passion, Lord, Lord save, save us and, and help us. us. Look in your mercy upon the world you love so much that you sent your son to suffer and to die. Strengthen those who work to share the reconciliation won at such a cost upon the cross. By the Saviour's cross and passion, Lord, save us and help us. Bring healing by the wounds of Christ to all who are weighed down by pain and injustice. Help the lonely and the betrayed, the suffering and the dying, to find strength in the companionship of Jesus and in his passion to know their salvation. By the Savior's cross and passion, Lord, save us and help us. Welcome into paradise, all who have blessed this world in your friendship. And we pray this morning with thanksgiving, especially for Canon Peter Ford, and Trudy Meredith. According to your promises, bring them with all your saints to share in the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection by the Saviour's cross and passion. Lord, Lord save, save us, us and help us. Let us join together in the prayer of parting. God, God of, of majesty, majesty, whom, whom saints, saints and, and angels delight to worship in heaven, heaven. Be with all your people who employ art and music for your praise, that with joy we on earth may glimpse your beauty and bring us to the fulfilment of that hope of perfection which will be ours as we stand before your unveiled glory. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The love that raised Jesus from the dead be at work within you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name, In the name of, of Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ's Church Cathedral. Our original theme and audio engineering are done by Eduardo Farias. For more information, go to cathedralhamilton.ca. We hope you would join us again soon. Have a blessed day.